no matter who you are, the thing that is going to keep you out of the most danger is keeping calm, keeping cool, changing your mind frame, regardless of the situation. Oftentimes, a situation tries to impress upon our mind frame. But if we can dominate the situation, if we can change our mind frame and change our relation to the situation, then we will always have an advantage over the situation, regardless of what that external happening is. Now, this sounds easy to do, but in reality, it is even easier to accomplish than it sounds. All you have to do is conquer it with your mind, or conquer it with your faith, or your belief in yourself, or in the world, or in God, or in this whole structure of being that we find ourselves immersed in. And this is even easier to do than it seems. As a human being with a functioning mind, we have the capacity to handle every situation we are presented with. And by being calm, not only are we able to handle situations uh, that present themselves to us immediately, but we're able to handle situations that arise in the future in a more efficient manner if we are calm in the present. Even in the midst of an enemy attack, we are much better equipped to handle ourselves if we remain calm and poised and alert and mindful of the situation as it is, not as we construe it to be in our heads. Because we often wind things up and make them more than they are. And this happens because our egos betray us and make more of the situation than it is. If we simply realize that we were blanketed in this loving structure of being and that we were merely a part of that being rather than this ego which is up against that structure of being, we would more clearly see that there is truly nothing to fear and there is no attack from the outside world on us. That which we think of attacking us, that which gives us anxiety, is really our own ego and nothing more. Because in reality, nothing is attacking you except for your mind. In reality, nothing happens to us aside from that which we have an idea about. Nothing happens to us aside from those things which are in some way already pre-construed within us. Because in order for something to happen, it has to have been perceived by our mind. This is true across every experience that we've ever had. Even if we have no label or conception even if the experience which happens to us is novel, it has to pass through our mind in order to happen. It has to be processed by our consciousness in order to happen. So in a very real way, 
nothing, no phenomena occurs apart from our own minds, apart from our own consciousness. No matter how purely physical we view that phenomena as being, it is intimately related to our own mind. Therefore, the challenge before us becomes to live in a wholly perceptive state of being. And a perceptive state of being only comes about through watching and through being still and silent and through not getting our ego involved. I know for me, as a personal experience, that oftentimes in the past, when I panic, my ego becomes hyper-aware of itself. I exist, my ego exists against everything else. Against the thought, against the world, against that in which I have just partaken in. It's my body, it's my mental state against otherness. And I am in opposition with that otherness. But the reality is, is that we are all the same. Myself and the phenomena are one and the same happening, or a part of that same happening. And it is my own skewed, incorrect mental perception that creates a wedge between myself and that which I perceive to be other than myself. Because again, our thoughts comprise the external, and the external should be labeled very loosely as such. Because the external, as previously stated, is truly in a very real way an intimate part of the internal, and vice versa. Now, I'd like to put a very brief caveat on that and say that I don't want to be confusing and be misunderstood as saying that the internal is precisely the same as the external and the external is precisely the same as the internal and we're all one thing. We are and we aren't. I think I've shown how connected we are to otherness and how or that which we perceive as otherness however as far as saying we are all one much like anything that has a, a modicum of truth to it, it it is and it is not <laughs> to say that we are all one thing um, is merely a concept on the surface because clearly we are different in certain manifestations. Of course, in external manifest, human being is different than the being of the rock or the tree. And our conscious idea of a rock or a tree is not the same thing as a physical manifest of a rock or a tree. So I, I want to be clear about that. Um... There is certainly a clear distinction 
between certain things. Um, however, just like the mind and the body are intimately related to one another, although they can't necessarily be labeled as the same thing, they are both a part of the same functioning organism and could not function properly. One could not function properly without the other. So, the internal and external are distinguished. However, they are both the same. Being that all that is in society and in your relation to the external world is a result of what you have thought. And it's a result of how you are and how you act within that situation. So, the external is quite real. So, what it is is that it's not so much that the external world does not exist and only the internal world is all that matters. But it's the relation between the two. It is the confluence between the internal epoch and the external epochs that meet and culminate and form this relation. It's always the relation, isn't it? We, we've segregated things in such a way that it becomes mostly the relation that matters. Take, for example, well, the most extreme example that I can think of, which is the last man on earth scenario uh, that we've all uh, had some sort of experience with, whether it be, you know, in stories or movies or books or this apocalyptic setting where you are the only sole surviving human being left on the planet. Your subjective relation to the outside world within that scenario changes drastically than it would uh, in, you know, the usual context of living within a society. Because within that last man on earth scenario, there is no room for paranoia. There is no more room for anxiety. Because the last man on earth exists and acts as if he were already dead. And that's very liberating, in a way. And I think that, and this is a very dangerous statement that I'm about to make, and I realize that. However, I think that it is oftentimes to our benefit to act as if we were already dead. From the point of calmness, or from the point of being at ease, or being alert, or rather being at ease with and being alert to life, it may well be to our benefit 
that we realize the nothingness which lingers on the precipice of existence at our every station of being. But being at ease with and being alert to life is kind of the same thing. If you live every day with the attitude of, what's it matter, I'm going to die anyways, and that's very cliche. It's extremely cliche to have that attitude and to have that sentiment. And I realize that uh, that's certainly not a new sentiment, not a new thought. However, for me, somehow in my mind, it makes more sense for me to refer to it as the last man on earth scenario. Or to think about it as the last man on earth scenario. It's such an extreme situation. You are on this damned desert island of the world and you are the only person there. And so, you in this situation are very near the fringe of being all the time. When you are on the fringe of being, you don't have time for anxiety. You live, in a way, as if you are not there. As if this external world is not even there. You certainly live in a different way than we do currently. And the way we live currently is very attached to everything. Uh, existence for us is a given. Existence is a given for us. It's something that we think should be. It's something that we're entitled to. It's a given. But that is not the nature of existence. Existence is a privilege, it's a blessing, it's a bestowment. It's not a given. In every sense of the meaning of the word. Everything else in this entire universe, including ourselves, but we don't think of it this way because we regard ourselves as so unique and so special in our own minds. But everything else in this universe strives for existence at every moment. Where we, we take it as is. We take it for granted. We take it as our natural right, as if by being born we are bestowed and endowed by God with this right to continue to live. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. When you think of it in this objective way, I mean, it, it takes on a certain sense of humor. And we realize how egotistical uh, we are. So, here presents for us a certain challenge. Is can we think about our lives? Can we think about our existence in this way? How does it change our mode of being or the way we operate within life once we realize that existence 
is not a given. That it is a privilege. Once we realize the truth, what paths do we tread and how do we walk within them? Because to see the truth is a choice. It is always a choice. Do we allow ourselves to be constrained by that which we think we know, by our preconceptions of what is, or or do we simply put ourselves and our preconceived notions and our preconceived visions aside and look directly at what is. Now, knowing that otherness is with us always, knowing that we are constantly living within that last man on earth scenario, the calmness should be with us always. And blessed are we as conscious beings that we have been endowed with the right and the option to continually choose our conscious state. And the otherness goes along with that choice, whatever choice we make. Every choice we make, the external world says yes. <laughs> yes. It allows us to exist in whatever state we wish to. The external world never impinges upon our spirit if we do not allow it. Unfortunately, oftentimes, it is only the external world that we allow to impinge upon our internal state. And this is where what we talked about earlier in regards to the internal and the external comes to full light. They are both different and the same. At the same time. They are both and. We can allow the external into our internal realm, into our subjective being, And oftentimes, we are overcome by the external. Oftentimes, something happens to us from the external world, from the otherness, that we are not strong enough to keep out. But that's okay. Because it is a part of us. And regardless of how unpleasant it might be at times, it is nevertheless undeniably a part of our own composite and a part of who we are. We come from it and we in turn create or help to create what it is. So there's this constant interplay between us and it, between us and what is. And we are intimately a part of what is. We compose what is. We are able to manipulate it just as much as it is able to manipulate us. It's a cosmic dance in which there are no missteps. 
even though we might be off the beat every once in a while. The world grants us whatever we seek. Anything we look for in the external, anything we look for in that otherness, we find. And that is absolutely miraculous. And this is what I mean when I say it is the relation that is important. Because when we are in this constant dialogue with the world, when we speak to it with an open heart, when we speak and when we communicate and the world communicates not to us, but through us, because we as human beings are nothing but vestiges of forces that were here long before our own individual existences and that will remain here long after those individual existences are gone. So when the universe and the world communicates through us and we communicate to it and we have this dialogue, we see that it is really just the world communicating to itself. It is really just different variants of consciousness speaking to itself. And that dialogue is much more profound than us merely dictating happening. If I was to think of a pink and purple polka dotted perforated paddywhackle blue elephant <laughs> and it appeared precisely as I in my own mind had envisioned it. It appears in the external world. It is much less profound than if the world communicates back through me. Because in dialogue, in communication, there is discovery. There is freedom, there is life, there is growth. There is consciousness. In dictation, there is only that. There is only obedience. Very little is learned. Very little is experienced. If we merely dictated our own lives, what would we learn? To dictate, that's, that's easy. That's easy. What is profound? See, there is no profundity in pink and purple polka dotted paddywhackle blue elephants <laughs> appearing just from a thought. There's no majesty in that. And yet, because we have so gone off the track of what is true 
And what is really profound, we think that that would be the profound thing. <laughs> that if we internalize something, if we think of something and we will it to appear in the external realm, that would be profound. When all along, what is profound is having the dialogue. <laughs> what is profound is having the continual ebb and flow, the continual communicant of these universal forces flow right through us. In having that conversation, we learn, we discover, both us and the world discover together. And from that discovery there stems this mutual interplay of consciousness. There is a dialogue that is recorded and set forth and improved upon through further dialogues. There is a happening, there is a being that continues. There is a process that plays out in time. And I hate to use that kind of terminology being that Claremont is the world center for process studies, but and I think of myself uh, not quite as process as uh, some other more prominent uh, self-described process philosophers. But to me, so far as time is concerned, it would seem that there is this construct of time or this apparent construct of time so that this discovery, this dialogue can take place. Time is the stage in which the process of communication dances across. And it is through that process, it is through that dialogue, that communication, through that conversation with the otherness, with that which continually lurks over our shoulder, giving us the choice whether to be anxious or to be calm. And so many times our choice is to be anything but calm. Our choice is to be anything but proper in listening to it. We often listen to ourselves. We listen to us much too often. We listen to what is in our heads, our ego-filled, selfish heads. That's what we listen to. We don't listen to the world. We don't have that dialogue which continually sings and calls out to us for a response that we are too self-involved with to hear or to call back to. Because if we did listen to it and if we heard it correctly, we would know with our entire beings 
that there is nothing to be afraid of ever in panic in anxiety in sadness in loss in death all of those words are synonyms for gain for struggle for strength for love so again there is no reason to be anxious about anything at any time ever tonight I have discovered that tonight I have discovered that truth because I have spoken it out I have communicated it to myself <laughs> and to well the otherness to the world it was something that I've always felt very deeply but never could quite understand and I hate to say it's never, not something I could ever quite understand through conception because it is concepts it is concepts that I aim to assassinate <laughs> I aim not to indulge in conception but to participate strictly with what is and so oftentimes conceptions our thoughts about things take on the reality and substitute for the reality itself and tonight I was at a juncture and at this juncture I had the choice to focus I began to feel anxious and I had the choice to focus on that anxiety or to let that focus go and simply go with the way of the present moment and of the happening and realize that it was merely my own ego my own mind putting all of this pressure on me in the first place oftentimes as a performing musician I will especially when I am unsure of a piece that I'm playing in front of a crowd um, I will start to focus on that uncertainty and I will start to focus on my inabilities basically I will start to focus on that which I'm not secure with uh, on my own weakness when if I simply let that go and stay within the piece stay within the performance just play the song have fun with it enjoy it that's what it's here for 
And you play it in your own way and and remember that again this is this is fun. That this is a part of happening this happening for a reason. And when I don't think about it, when I just play, all that anxiety just drops away. And the same can be said in any life situation. So again, this is something that I'd realized or felt in my heart for a long time, um, but it was only something that I was able to express through this current dialogue here this evening. Because another thing that I suppose I've known for some time, and I think we all know it, is that our thoughts, once we have them, can be very difficult to jettison from our minds. They can be very difficult to throw aside once we've got a thought within our head. Another thought needs to come along and replace it before we can move on. Either that or we need to simply empty our minds, which oftentimes for many of us is a difficult thing to do. However, if we look at simply what is and the is of this situation is precisely what we've been talking about is that these are our own constructions and they have no footing in reality. And once we realize that we don't need to empty our minds or have a thought come and replace that previous harmful mental construction, that conception. And this is precisely why conceptions are dangerous and why I am out to rid the collective mental consciousness of these tiny, pathetic mental constructs that we've shaped so many things around and made them into these seemingly inescapable realities up to this point. Because again, everything is self-created. Everything is this relational bond. Because it's not necessarily subject A and subject B. It's the relation between those subjects that is what we are looking at. It's always the relation. Nothing exists without the relation. All of the universe is a relation. And this is a very simple fact, but extremely profound, once understood correctly. Because what does that relation tell us? What does it mean that it is only the relation that matters. You should stop and think about this for yourself.
you can have two different subjects. I mean, we always have multiple subjects in uh, science and mathematics and philosophy in our daily lives. This universe is based not on individual subjects, but on the relationships those subjects create between those subjects. What does that mean? I would greatly encourage you to think about what it is that that means. Because it is well beyond your wildest imagination. And if you are able to understand it, you have unlocked a universal secret. <laughs> now, I can say anything here about the meaning of this, but we have to keep in mind that I, too, am only a relational subject. <laughs> so, so here is another relation. These words to your own subjective mind. And the only meaning that is important is what it is that you extract from this. That's the only thing that matters, is what meaning you take away. However, what I see is very simple. It's purpose. It is purpose. It is meaning. If there was no interaction between two things, there would be no meaning. There would be no interaction in the first place. <laughs> because it is the interaction itself that is the meaning, that is the purpose. It is the communication, the dialogue, that is the purpose. And don't take, don't take my word for it. Don't just blindly follow my lead. Do your own thinking about that. As a matter of fact, even better, don't think at all. <laughs> just, just act. Just interact with whatever it is that your life, you have made your life to be. Dialogue with it. Communicate with it. Let it communicate to you. And I believe the purpose, the meaning of it all will be apparent within that simple action of the communication. Think about that. Question that. Observe it for yourself. And then ask yourself, why would two things exist within the same sphere if they weren't meant to interact with one another? And from that interaction, 
gain meaning, gain purpose, gain action, gain praxis, gain itself, lose itself, create something new, perpetuate being. That's what this life is. That's what this universe is. It is a being machine. It is the being maker. It is the perpetuator of being. Why being? Why being? If it all means nothing, if there is nothing, if there's nothing beyond, if nothing has any purpose or meaning or consequence, it doesn't matter if there is a heaven or a hell. And I assure you, there is not the latter and only the former. Just different variations of it, but what does it matter if the perpetuation of being is not instilled in the first place? Because we have nothing to gain in this life unless we eventually lose it all. We have nothing to gain in this life unless we eventually lose it all. And from that realization, and only from that realization, can we begin to live full, healthy, genuine, sincere lives. If we live without that recognition, we are fooling ourselves and we are living within a myriad of shadows that we ourselves have created for ourselves. Those types of thoughts are hedges that we ourselves have planted which obscures our vision of this vacuous horizon of life which beckons us forward. Because when you are with the truth. Not when you seek it, but when you are with it. Everything is apparent, and everything is there. And you realize that you are the one who put it there in the first place, and you are the one who takes it away. <laughs>